Hey y'all, before we jump into today's episode, we would like to invite you to a special event we're hosting on May 30th called Women in Whiskey. Join us for an adult field trip filled with Southern fun at the Jack Daniels Distillery right here in our home state of Tennessee. Get ready to learn while sipping. We will be taking a private tour of the distillery, enjoy a barbecue lunch on the beautiful hillside, and partake in early happy hour with cocktails provided by Jack Daniels as we listen in on a conversation with women who work in the industry. The conversation will be led by yours truly, your hosts of the Steel Magnolias podcast. Learn more about the event at steelmagnoliaspodcast.com. You can grab your tickets there and we cannot wait to see you on May 30th. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Steel Magnolias podcast. It's February, which means Valentine's Day is just around the corner. And to celebrate, we are showing some love with a big giveaway of lots of great Southern goodies. A tea towel, cheese straws, recipe cards, napkins that even have our signature sign off. Peace be with y'all. You can find all the details of the giveaway on our Instagram page at Steel Magnolias Podcast. We've got a great show today on Southern quilts, so I'll meet you at the table. I'm Lainey. And I'm Laura Beth. And we are Steel Magnolias. The strength of steel with the grace of a magnolia. We are here to have uplifting conversations about life in the South. And we've got plenty of room at our table. So pull up a chair. It's February. Whoa. You just said I can I hardly know, believe it. I can it's hardly February. believe it. And at the time this episode comes out, it's Groundhog Day. Oh. February 2nd. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't automatically think of the movie, though. I know, right. Bill Murray really owns February 2nd, <laughs> in my mind. I wondered, though, like how many people really rely on Groundhog Day to dictate the future weather pattern? Surely not. Do you think people really do? I don't know. In fact, I would... I thought that was just like a cutesy little. Well, it is, but well, it goes back to like some German tradition, but I'm not going to get into all that. But what I do think is funny is how many people actually know which way is which, right? Oh. So if he sees the shadow, what does what that, does that mean? mean? Is it? That, Do you know? Because I, I had to look it up. On, is the on, shadow that there's more cold weather, more winter? Yes. Okay. So because it's darker. So you know. That's why I thought that. Phil, I think is his name. I think yes, he's yes, the yes, line yes. of Phil, um, in Pennsylvania, in Punxsutawney. No Gosh, idea. Sorry, butchered it. But he comes out, sees his shadow potentially. The shadow scares him, so he goes back in, and that's really letting us know that there's winter because that's why he's going back in gotcha if there's no shadow he's gonna come running out because he's excited it's gonna be spring i don't know i just think it's such a funny tradition it totally is funny um i don't necessarily do any plans around it and sometimes i even forget to check to see on groundhog day did he see his shadow or not and then i'm like wait which one's which so i'll tell you who seems to have weather the most figured out i mean you know god's in control of it so none of us know for sure but the farmer's almanac is true. apparently pretty stinking that is so true. accurate those farmers you know when it comes down to your um 
bread and butter, you're going to get some things figured out. That's true. Yes, you have some serious skin in the game. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we took a road trip. Yay! Woo-hoo! On my scooter and all. It felt <laughs> so good to just take a day trip. We didn't yes. even have hotel we reservations. Didn't spend the nights. To put a restaurant I've never been to into the GPS of my phone was like <laughs> exhilarating. We haven't. Done it really much. was. It felt like an adventure. I know. I think anyone would feel like that these days. There's a lot of people listening to this that still can't go out to restaurants because of the shutdowns in their area. So it was, yeah, quite fun. It was so Paducah. Thank you for <laughs> blessing us with That's a right. sense of adventure. So we went to Paducah, Kentucky. From here took us about two and a half hours from, from Franklin. Franklin yes and thank you Lainey for planning the whole trip for us because you well, picked everything from our lunch spot to setting up our museum visit yes so do we talk now about our lunch spot let's do we're just gonna mention kinda, where we went we're gonna touch touch on it but it it lends to another episode where'd we go we went to Doe's Eat Place. So it was made famous in the Delta of Mississippi. I still want to hit that location yes. in the near future. But the same family that started that original one in the Delta has a location in Paducah, Kentucky. So yes. we went to Doe's to have a meal yes. before we went to the National Quilt Museum. Yes. So we had... A plate of tamales. Yum. We were seated by a window and it started snowing. snowing. I mean, I mean, and the... it was like the pretty snow that doesn't factor into like road conditions. Right. And making it was things fluffy hazardous. and white, yet when it hit the ground, it was just wet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty awesome. It was really magical, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went after we ate. So, again, just kind of spoiler alert I guess we will do a tamales episode at some point it, yes. need, it needs its own it deserves its own did you see we heard from um Eric and Ruth Ann Ross the decorators he's from Paducah so they oh, said yeah. they love those oh, eat yeah. place. there were several people on our Instagram that popped up that <laughs> yes that they were excited that we went there and so we went to the National Quilt Museum, which oh my goodness. honestly we could have walked to, but it was snowing and cold. And <laughs> I'm on a scooter. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so we rolled around the corner, stopped just to see the massive Ohio River, even in the half mile distance between the restaurant and the museum, which was just so massive that you're like, wow, there is parts, there are parts of creation that are almost scary yeah water certainly is like it was a daunting force sight yeah and it was cold and snowy and just the yeah the magnitude of it was pretty substantial but we wanted to share uh about our details of visiting and i will tell you the national quilt museum is the brainchild of bill and meredith schroeder of paducah they are both quilting enthusiasts they aimed to start the museum and wanted to celebrate the work of today's quilters and advance the art of quilting by bringing it to audiences that had not previously experienced this as being art. And you're going to probably hear us we'll say talk that, more about that several yes. more times in this episode. The Schroeders chose to build the museum in Paducah to give back to the community in which they lived for many, many years. And it is a $2.2 million facil- facility. It, Like I said, it sits almost right next to the Ohio River. And it's blocks away from the 
really cute, historic downtown Paducah. So just holistically, it was such a great day visit. I wanted to have more time yeah. to spend down there and would encourage people, if you are going, make, build some time before or after to have lunch somewhere or um, you know, stop into some of the shops and things as well. But what's crazy is that you've had the National Quilt Museum on your list of potential topics for like over a year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For a really long time. Um, and I think we're scratching the surface today. I think this could almost be more episodes in the future. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of which I would like to do at a later day. What we're not discussing today is like caring for, displaying. Yes. We're not getting into that. That would be its own episode. Yeah. And there's some real specifics. And I think a lot of people out there are wondering. Would how like do I to do, have an episode. This? How yeah. do I To get store them out? and yeah. that kind of thing. We will get to that at a different episode. But today we just wanted to talk about this piece of our culture. Yeah. Well, on the day the museum opened, which was back in 1991, so this is their 30-year anniversary, the entire collection included 85 quilts that were on loan from the founders themselves. Okay. So now today, when you go, it's, of course, expanded into much more. And there are rotating exhibits very regularly, which again presented the amazing irony that when you circled back on your list and you're like, hey, National Quilt Museum's on my list. What's Wonder going what, on there right now? What do they got? Perfect timing. Southern quilts. What do you know? So the exhibit for Southern quilts is not a um, permanent staple there. It is a temporary exhibit and it only runs through March 9th. So yeah. you do have time if you are within traveling distance to Paducah. You have the ninth, time to go. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Okay. March 9th. Um, and gosh, I mean, after we finish this episode, I You're hope, we, I go. hope <laughs> we entice you to go. Um, so yeah, Southern quilts. Yeah, so I think one of the things that was funny for me, um, just in all transparency, when I think of quilts, I have in my mind all do you know, there's lots of different patterns and things like that, but still pretty what I realized was my definition is still very much the old traditional quilts. Yes. Not this. A lot of what we saw in the museum, it totally opened my eyes as to it being its own art form. Yes. Like this is just another medium of yes. art. Yeah. It, there can be paint. There can be pottery. There can be photography. Or there can be quilt as the actual medium. Right. Never dreamed of that. I didn't I'm, either. So this museum, um, I think what was fun for me was what I think of as quilts was what the Southern Quilts exhibit showed me. Yes. And then it opened my mind to Agreed. what is possible based on their permanent exhibit. Yes. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it showed a really good contrast yes. of what's possible. And I don't. Maybe you see that in every traveling exhibit that comes through there, you know, as you compare both sides to the other. But this one especially, because we're from this area, we've seen a certain style yeah. of quilts that our family has in, you know, and things that they've created or just even things you see at antique shops around here. There's a certain style. And a lot of that was not represented in the exhibit outside of the Southern quilts. Right. Those were very intricate and 
I mean, all different directions. Yeah. So anyhow, um, as with so many parts of culture, the ne- um, necessity was the mother of invention. Yep. So, you know, before central heat, you needed a layered blanket to keep you warm. Yes. Enter the quilt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's funny because when we went there... Frank Bennett, the CEO, thank you, Frank, for walking us around and sharing. Such a great time with him. He's been there 10 years, and he had all kinds of knowledge about quilts. And he said, uh, let's go ahead and talk about quilts being created for warmth. And he kind of like slowly (laughs) debunked, right, the argument that these were created for simply having warmth. Because, I mean, you would not put the time and attention and workload into these if you were only creating something right. for warmth. You would just wrap up in the scraps that That's right. these were used to make. Layers and layers of scraps. So, yeah. But I it's would, so much more than that. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of people may already know that the American South, we do have a rich quilting history steeped in tradition, passed down through generations, glorious designs, colors, patterns. They're all... Um, very unique to the United States, and we'll get into a little bit more of that. The earliest patchwork quilt came from traditions in the British Isles, so we saw some of that represented. Um, There were unique designs that emerged from German, Scots-Irish, and other European settlements that converged into the American South and in this region. And each quilt maker made her choices, like you were saying, Lainey, based on styles, patterns, traditions, but also the fabrics that were available to her at that time. That's right. And I loved that the exhibit said Southern women did not shy away from difficult patterns and specific designs with multiple pieces that were popular across the region. Southern quilt makers were fond of circular patterns particularly designs with points, teeth, and spikes, which we saw a good amount of. Um, The exhibit itself has on loan quilts from one proprietary person. I think, well, actually, I think there was exceptional, maybe two or three. But Mary Kerr, who we actually got to speak with, and we're going to share some thoughts from her in just a moment, she loaned all of these Southern quilts to the museum, and she herself is an American Quilt Society certified appraiser, author, curator, award-winning quilter. You almost have to be a quilter, I would think, to To lecture on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know how you could speak to it in this sort of detail without doing it yourself, but... She was born into a family of quilters. Um, You know, she's from Athens, Georgia. Um, She has been teaching since 1987. She lectures and does workshops that focus on quilt history and repurposing of antique textiles into contemporary quilts. So, I mean, thank you, Lainey, for even figuring out, like, hey, she's available. Like, we could talk to her because she was the exact right person. For us to talk to, her work marries her love of all things vintage with the freedom of expression that is encouraged in the art quilt community. And she now lives in Virginia. Yep. She did say she grew up in the Athens, Georgia area. But um, she's written a half a dozen books on quilting, including a book called Southern Quilts. 
celebrating traditions, history, and designs. And in that book, she shows why Southern quilts have a distinctiveness setting them apart, including factors like their patterns, use of tiny pieces, specific color choices, that kind of thing. Um, she explores some classic patterns. Um, I think she mentions as we talk to her some of those patterns. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's different ones that I've heard of and some I hadn't. The double wedding ring, I knew what that kind of looked like. But um, she mentions um, the crown of thorns, the Whigs defeat. We got to see yes. one of those. Um, some different regional treasures. There's the Texas rattlesnake or the Shenandoah Valley farmer's fancy. <laughs> things like that. I've heard of one called the Arkansas Traveler. Wow. Like there are regional color choices, regional patterns. Um But this compilation includes quilts from every Deep South state, offering commentary, examples, and insights on those. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the cover of the book is a quilt that she owns, and we got to see in the exhibit. And it's this beautiful quilt that is cotton bowls. Yeah. I think it was four. It was. It was four. So anyway, beautiful Lots of bright yellows and so pretty. I'll post that on our Instagram as well as some others this week so people can see it because we were allowed to take photographs. So highly recommend that book. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at all of her other books. If you're into quilting, though, she's quite the quite the expert. Yeah. So. So we jumped on the phone to talk to her about quilts and she had some really insightful observations to share. So let's share that conversation. Thank you for having me. I would love to know, just to kick us off a little bit about um, how you got into quilts. What was your beginnings? Um, Tell us a little bit about that and even um, just where you get your quilts, that kind of thing. Well, I grew up with quilts. Um, I... um, both of my grandmothers, my great grandmothers, I mean, we, they were always there. We always had quilts in, in the home. Um, my parents are both from Kansas. So I grew up with Midwest family pieces. And then um, most of my formative years were spent in Georgia. And I became enthralled with, with the Georgia quilts as, as well and, and all things Southern with, with that. So I've never not known quilts around me. And so was able to, my grand, my two grandmothers lived to be 93 and 95. And so I knew them as an adult and I, they knew me as a quilter. And so I learned a lot of things from them. I was very, very blessed. And then That's I am, special. yes, it's been, it's been a, a, a fun ride. Um, you know, I'm the only one on either side, the only grandchild that ever quilted. So I got all of their unfinished projects, all of the things that, that they had started and I've loved over the years incorporating them into my own work and writing books about them. And um, it's, it's just been fun. So that quilt making tradition um, sparked interest in quilt history um, in yes. learning about the fabrics that were used and learning about um, some of the fabric dating. Um, I am a certified appraiser, gone, went through all of that training. Um, and a, a longtime historian, and I became enthralled with the unique qualities of our Southern quilts. And so four years ago, I worked, started working with a group of 13 other historians, and we identified 15 uniquely Southern quilt patterns and tendencies in, within our quilting tradition in the South. 
Um, the book was designed, each chapter had a different pattern and we talked about it and many authors worked with me on this, but it's been um, lovely to find that we were just the tip of the iceberg. So as that information gets out and as these quilts are shown, we're finding more and more of the, that information, you know, more, of the, more of that pattern being used. Um, it, it's just, it's cumulative. You know, every time, sure. every time we find a little more piece of the puzzle, we have a better understanding of where we come from as quilters and where we come from as Southern women. Wow. Now, are those 15 particular patterns that you mentioned all in your Southern quilt book? Yes, ma'am. You know, one of the patterns that, that I specifically wrote about um, was called a pine burr. And we see this, we don't see this pattern being made outside of the, the U.S. until the early 20th century. I mean, outside of the southern states until the early 20th century. Most of those um, very spiky, um, intricate, small pieces were being done in specific regions. Um, for example, there's a region in North Carolina that tends to have three color quilts. We call them teal, cheddar, and oxblood. It's a brown uh, uh, orangey and a, and a teal, a bluish teal color, but we out, we rarely see them outside of that region of North Carolina. Um, and we're talking about before the trade route, before people started migrating and moving and, and, and those, we were able to identify specific enclaves. There's a pattern called um, Farmer's Fancy that we only found in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Okay. And you know, we saw a couple that were in from West Virginia, but remember West Virginia was part of Virginia at that time. Um, and if we found one that was outside of the normal realm, what we found was usually the family had moved from that area. And so it's just a, a fascinating um, discovery as we continue to, to, to look through these. So how many quilts do you have in your collection? Well, um, my collection is a bit eclectic, um, one, because I have all of my family quilts, but I also have the quilts that I have made, contemporary quilts that I've made for books. Um, my children will just answer that with way too many, mom. <laughs> and um, then I have, I probably in my Southern quilts collection, um, there's 30 on display at um, the new, the National Quilt Museum right now. And I probably have another 20 pieces and then probably 50 to 75 tops. Um, just a, a quilt is basically three layers. You know, um, the, the backing, the batting and, and the, the, um, the pieced top, pieced or applique top. And so many of these pieces were never finished. And those are what I tend to um, travel with and teach with because you can fit a whole lot more of those in a suitcase than you can a full size quilt. That's so true. Wow. Of yep. course. Well, I'm going to jump down to a different question I had jotted down that I want to ask. And that is what differences do you see in like Afro American quilts versus Anglo American quilts? Well, it, that's a, um, a whole nother group of study. And there's some wonderful people that have written about these, you know, you have you have um, quilt making traditions in the, in the South, especially that were mixed. You had, um, you know, we, we don't have the ability to, to say, was this quilt that was made on this plantation, do, were there white fingers working on it? Black fingers working on it? Were they the servants? We don't have the ability to know that. And many of these fine quilts were attributed to the, to the white women. 
Um, okay. And we're finding as we are able to to do some ancestry and some history, looking at in their diaries and that that every woman in that household was working on that quilt. Uh, and you okay. had specific people that were doing this. Now we have enclaves like the G's Benz quilts that have been widely circulated and widely written about, which was a um, very much a, a, a microcosm of um, without outside influence. And so you have some tremendous pieces that are being made from there, but they're very similar to some of the pieces that are made in the deep Appalachia counties okay. where they were not able to get out either. Um, right. So, you know, it's, it's hard. It's become, um, we're finding that unless we have exact provenance, unless we know for sure that it was an African-American quilt, it, it does not behoove us to say that it was or that it could sure. be. Well, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could even be that the similarities have more to do with class than race and that um, you were seeing in Appalachia just because they were using what they had and that right. kind of thing. You know, yes, it, it could be because of that. It could be that, you know, you see a lot of South Carolina quilts that look like other South Carolina quilts because that's what you came in contact with and that's what you saw. Sure. Um, so whether that was um, a, a racial divider or, or not with, yeah. with that. Interesting. Another thing I was um, just kind of curious to ask, and you've already touched on it a little bit, but what qualities do you see specifically in Southern quilts? In Southern quilts, I I say there are there are five basic characteristics, and some Southern quilts will have all of those five, and others will have none. But you know, when we're looking at a quilt, um, they tend to be um, you know we use cotton, we use thick cotton, so they tend to be rather thick. Um, not that we were cold you know cold blooded, we had an abundance of cotton, and so that was used in very thick quilts. As a result, the quilting stitches themselves tend to be bigger. Um, it's harder to get through thick, you know, thick cotton. Sure. Whereas the quilts that I, my family had in the Midwest, you made that cotton last. So you carded it really, really thin and you could get tiny, tiny stitches. Okay. Um, the other thing that we typically see in Southern, Southern quilts is it's a coarse back, meaning you didn't use your good stuff on the front. I mean, on the back, you used it on the front. And so we see a lot of um, feed sacks, homespun, coarser fabric. Um, many times then that coarse fabric is brought around to the front of the to the front of the quilt. Um, there was an economy of effort and a spirit of making do um, that is the the final thing that we see in, in these quilts. If you if you and which is part of what the book I'm writing about now is on that make do attitude. Um, if you didn't if you ran out of fabric, use something else. If you're, you know, if your lines weren't straight, oh well, make the other one you know, crooked too, or we didn't shy away from pieces because we didn't have the skills. It's like, Hey, I want to do that. And that spirit of make do is something that we see a lot in Southern, in, in Southern women, not only in our quilts, right. in our cooking, right. in our attitudes, in our way of, of dealing with, with adversity and with problems. So that make, that make do attitude translates into our quilts as well. Where do you get most of your quilts? I know you've gotten several from family. You already mentioned that, but if you were seeking them out, what is that I'm the look one, like for you? Well, I'm the one at the antique shops and the auctions that's looking in the boxes underneath of the tables. Um, I'm looking for those pieces that haven't been um, loved or, you know, we're, we're just kind of discarded and, and ignored because I think there's some real beauty in bringing them back to, back to life. 
Um, I have purchased from private dealers. I, I travel a lot. And okay. um, I will tell you that um, antique shops usually have clean bathrooms. And so I can stop there and I can support the economy and, and just look as look as I go. I mean, I've been I've been working with quilts for a long for a long time. Um, I started teaching in 1987. So there's over the years we've we've uh, accumulated quite a few of quite a few of them. You know, anytime you're a collector of something or a, a, and and this has been my profession. You know, I'm I'm using them to teach. I'm using them to to lecture. Um, you you tend to to seek those out, and you know it, it's um, I'm their caretaker for a while. And then at some point we will find another home for them, whether that's in the uh, museum world or back into the marketplace. There's a, um, I, I love the opportunity to find some of these. And so I have a couple of teacher friends that when they see a piece in, in the um, antique shop, they'll take a picture and send it to me. Oh. And, you know, we, we see, I know what other quilters are collecting, you know, what other quilt friends are collecting. And I look for those for them too. So it, you know, that's sweet. It's women supporting each other. That's right. That's right. Well, you have quite the collection just in the 30 we got to see. Um, and, and such a good variety. I have to say, um, I, my sister and I were both moved to tears with the wedding quilt that has all each name of the yes. women that worked on it. Um, from mm -hmm. I believe that one was 1941 but oh. that that's the quilt that is in the collection of there's only two pieces there that aren't mine um, and that one was one of them that's in the collection okay. of Sue Reich and okay. she also had the um, the prayer the word okay. from the, the one with one, all the red and white one with all okay. of the words and um, she was very generous enough oh, no I got one more that wasn't it's a red and white quilt that's called wonder of the worlds and that belongs to Kathy Cray okay and um, both of them are dear friends who I didn't have, I didn't have those specific pieces in my collection. And so um, they were able to, to lend them to me. So that's right. Well, thank you for taking time to share in your expertise. And um, we just really appreciate your getting oh, well, to see you. some of your collection and actually sit and chat with you. I know for our listeners who are interested in quilting, they're going to want to go deeper with you. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Mary. Oh, well, thank you. You guys have a great day. So she clearly knows her stuff. Oh, my I goodness. Mean, Loved talking to her. She has spent some time getting in the trenches. When she said that she had identified, she and another group of historians and people that are quilt experts had identified 15 unique quilting patterns. Southern patterns. I was like, how do you do that? Right. That's a lot of study before you can nail that down. How do you do that? And how amazing that both of her grandmothers knew her as a quilter. Like didn't just know her. She got to actually That's... learn from them and get corrected. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I also really found it endearing that she said uh, she labeled herself as a caretaker. Of the quilts. In, yes, Wasn't that sweet? In regards to the quilts and that, you know, eventually they'll go another place. But right now they're in her hands. It's so sweet. Like, Almost that's a really just sweet. The tender of them. Yes. Yes. Well, I got some of, some of the things that she said seemed so like, well, of course, like we mm -hmm. had more cotton. So our quilts were thicker right. cotton. Yeah. Um, when she was mentioning the stitches had to be a little bigger because you're going through thicker 
cut and I'm like well naturally See, that's why that would be but I've never quilt. thought about yeah. that yeah um I was thinking no wonder they use the thimble oh my yes. gosh just you'd have to get so good at that to yes. do this very much or you yeah poke your finger so bad yeah I will say when we were walking the exhibit I was naturally drawn in a sense of familiarity to a few quilts that I later found out by reading the placard were from East Tennessee which is where our family's from so they yeah and so it was really sweet to have that confirmation even with where they originated from because there is a style yes yeah that gets known in a region yeah yeah so so cool um she also mentioned the when i was asking her about african-american influence and Mm -hmm. how that was different and she mentioned the g's bend quilts there's some great videos that i found on those women it's a tiny um city in alabama called boykin alabama Mm -hmm. where they quilt and have a kind of a specific style um, and so if this is subject is interesting, you should check out a couple of those videos on YouTube just to see that particular oh, cool. microcosm is what she called it. Okay. Yeah. 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 And she's right in saying, I mean, really everyone in the household was working on a quilt. I wonder yeah, today how many participants are in most quilts. Yeah. I mean, you've heard of like quilting bees where yes, people are doing it as together or yes. a co- sometimes it's called a collective. Um, do you remember that movie, How to Make an American Quilt? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I was thinking writer. about that where yeah. they were you know, I was too. quilting together. And um, when I was talking to our mom this week, she said, we should start a quilting group at church and I said well it's interesting you say that because would people do it I think everybody's so used to do it now do it quick yeah that's making it all the more an art form true if people really will do it that quilt where all those women had signed it as a wedding gift Mm -hmm. that was in the exhibit yeah so So they had threaded the signature of their names on the square that they made yeah Yeah. so each of them had made different square yeah and then they had their name in the center yeah what I would give to have one that had names like you know of the women that are important to me I know well we will link to Mary's book of course in our show notes and as you heard her say she's already working on another book we actually caught her on a little writing break for our phone call. Um, so I'm excited to see even kind of what she still has to produce. Highly recommend the National Quilt Museum there in Paducah. We had the pleasure again of their team hosting us. Big thank you to Frank Bennett, the CEO there, for walking us around when we first arrived. And, you know, he truly wants folks to experience the work of these amazing artists and to see this work as art. And you absolutely will when you go for there. For sure. Yeah. So kudos to them for bringing that education to us and making it well known. If you're interested in more specifics on the museum or even um, there's a great interview that Frank did where he talks specifics about more broad sense of quilting. I can link to that in our show notes as well. Like I said, it's the museum's 30th anniversary, so this would be a fun year to go visit. And if you can't, there's plenty of things that um, you can interact with their Facebook group and things like that. Yeah, they have a great Facebook group that you can do to engage with the community there. So 
All right. Southern quilts in the books. Peace be with you, Laura Beth. And also with y'all. <laughs> <laughs>